Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Bob Harvey, who's the president of the Greater Houston Partnership and previously has been a leader with McKinsey and Company for over 17 years, and then also was the vice chair of Reliant Energy, which was one of my clients. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we met through mutual acquaintance, and I'm so grateful you're here because you really are making a huge impact in terms of leading the efforts to make Houston one of the best places to live, work, and build a business. But the other exciting part is that you've actually yourself been a business leader and built cultures where people could have not just jobs, but careers. And then you got your MBA from Harvard and you've done some really impressive things. So what do you contribute to some of your success? Well, I've been very fortunate and uh, been able to maintain some momentum in my life. And I always tell young people, it's important that you try to maintain momentum. There's really no chance to pause if you're really trying to make a difference and have an impact in your life. And I've been fortunate that I've been able to do that. But I've also been surrounded by some great mentors and leaders and people to learn from and be supported by. So I really I really feel fortunate and blessed that things have evolved the way they have over my career. And would you say, Bob, in terms of, I heard about the momentum, and then I also heard you say you've had some great mentors. How, how much of an impact would you say having good mentors have ha- has had on your success? For mentors, for me, have been people that I've worked closely with and tried to learn from and pattern myself after. I've never had one of those close kind of intimate one-to-one relationships, but I've always been fortunate to have someone in my life, in my business career that I could try to model myself after. And at McKinsey, it was a senior partner here in Houston that built the office and just represented to me all that was great about McKinsey and consulting and, and the impact you could have in that role. At A&M, I had leaders ahead of me in, in my classes that uh, provided such. So they were, it's almost more role models, I guess, than mentors, even though I use that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been thoughtful about who those people were. And I've always <laughs> wondered, did they appreciate the fact that they were providing that that model for me in their lives? And some of them I've gone back to and had those conversations with later. But I've been fortunate to be in settings where there was excellence all around me and therefore people to learn from all around me. And, that's, and that makes a huge difference also, being exposed to excellence makes it much easier to try to emulate that in your own leadership style. Well, I appreciate you modeling it on our show today because a lot of uh, business leaders are listening and it's been tough during COVID times to actually meet with people in person and get mentored, but learning from others has been great contribution. And I hear you provide that. So not only are you a smart person for a mutual acquaintance and your track record, but you also, your character, he mentioned how you're also very kind and and you give back. And obviously you chose to provide your talents the way you have now, which says a lot. And I did some research on you. And I also know you happened to lead the efforts uh, when you were at a I think you called it March to the Brazos. That's right, Bridget. You're going way back now. That's right. <laughs> yes. So there's something from way back that you already were a leader, it sounds to me like. Well, I'll, you know, I'll pick up on that thought. I'll pat myself on the back. I was, I was core commander at a and then I was student body president at a so so that was really my first opportunity to exhibit leadership traits. And for me, that's always been trying to find what, what's that next opportunity for an organization that they haven't yet considered, perhaps, kind of having that visioning skill and then that ability to motivate a group to head towards that vision. And that March to the Brazos example you cited was 
There had been a tradition at A&M many years earlier, decades earlier, of the Corps of Cadets marching out to the Brazos River once a year on April 1st. And it was designed to really get the cadets off campus so that they wouldn't do mischief on April 1st. On April <laughs> and it just occurred to me that the Corps of Cadets marching out to the Brazos would be a great tradition to reestablish 40 or 50 years later. And that turned in, has continued to be a big event upon the A&M campus. And, and it's developed into something very meaningful for the cadets. But that was just an example of kind of having a vision of something and then motivating others to execute. I, I, I couldn't worry about the details of actually how to do a march to the Brazos. My job was just to kind of create the vision and then turn it over to my team at the time and say, you all figure out how to do this. And they did it and they did it exceptionally well. And it's continued now. It's been oh, about 45 years since we recreated the march to the Brazos. Yes. Well, this, this vision you're talking about, apparently you're very good at doing that again, because at the Houston Greater Partnership, I, your reputation preceded you for doing that. Because as you know, I used to be a board member of the Gulf Coast Workforce Commission. And, and I heard how fantastic you are at not only casting a vision, but having team members execute on it. So all I hear is your success. And as you can imagine, there's leaders who are wondering, man, were you born that way? Or did you even struggle with some leadership issues? Well, I definitely do struggle with some leadership issues. Again, my strengths tend to be in the area of visioning and kind of helping a, helping a group come together around that vision. So basic leadership skills. I my weaknesses tend to be I'm not I'm not a great interviewer. I'm not great at selecting talent. I'm 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 pretty good at attracting talent, but I, I have a hard time picking talent. And and so I have to offset that weakness by letting other people get very involved in hiring decisions. I'm I'm just not good at that. And I've learned that I'm not good at that. I, I have a, a whole set of biases in the back of my mind that lead me to come to a conclusion, you know, when I'm interviewing candidates too early and often incorrectly. So I just find that I have to let other people kind of take care of that. And that's fine. That works for me. I'm not real good at giving feedback. I have to really force myself to do it. And you know, I, and I can force myself to do it. But, you know, some people are just much more natural at giving day-to-day, almost moment-to-moment feedback. And I'm not. I'm, I'm a very positive personality. I try to motivate and rally people. But with that personality, it's hard to, it's hard to interject some of that constructive feedback into the system. So again, I, I, can't, I can't delegate that to someone else. I just have to force myself to do it on occasion. Mm. And I have a hard time delegating. I mean, I think people like me that think they have a vision, see a future that others don't see. I have to make myself delegate. And, and literally, that means literally handing it off. Because if I stay involved, I'm going to try to micromanage. That's just who I am. So I've learned that there's a point where I literally have to describe a future, try to get people excited about it, and then I have to hand it off. If I don't hand it off, I meddle. And that's terrible. That demotivates people so quickly. And that's still an issue for me. If you ask people that work with me, they would say Bob still has a hard time delegating. And I have the word I have two words on my computer screen. I have the word delegation and the word focus, because every year in my comp review with my own board, they say, Bob, you need to get better at delegating and you've got to focus. You've got to focus. So <laughs> the two great weaknesses in my life. Well, I certainly appreciate you being open about that. And I bet a lot of leaders can, can relate to that statement. And at the same time, I think uh, you just revealed another one of your strengths, which is being aware of where you're not strong. But I'm, of course, curious when did you first discover that you were not good at either hiring or delegating? Or how, how did you become aware that you had those issues? Well, probably at Reliant, in my, in my first real executive role, you know, 17 years with McKinsey, most of my style had developed at McKinsey. 
And McKinsey, you have a whole system around you. Hiring is done by a system. You're part of the system, but you're never more than one of many voices in a hiring decision. So I didn't get the training at McKinsey about how to be that person who has to personally select the individual. So I, I encountered that at Reliant. And we had a great team at Reliant and, and our vision for Reliant, this is 20 years ago in the beginning of restructuring of power, which of course has been in the news lately, but we had an exciting vision. We were attracting great talent, but that's when I began to see that I wasn't a good judge of which of two or three or four candidates would really be the best candidate. And at the partnership where there's a lot more hiring, there's just more turnover at a, at a nonprofit like the partnership. Hiring is critical because we're kind of constantly molding the staff. So that's where I've had to apply it and just say, for the most part, I'm going to let two or three other people really get involved in a hiring decision. Even for someone who's going to report directly to me, I tend to get involved at the very, very end more to confirm what a group has decided. And and that works for me. I mean, I I trust the people that I delegated to. They know what I'm looking for, but they'll do a better job than I will. And I'll simply come in and and confirm it at the end. So it sounds like you've learned by a lot of... uh painful uh, revelations, so to speak, to delegate finally. That's right. That's for me, that's, that's, that's often the answer. But, but I've been fortunate. McKinsey exposed me to a hugely talented organization, well-intentioned. It's really an incredible place. 17 years at McKinsey shaped me in ways that I'll, I'll never lose. I mean, that, that desire to be strategic, that desire to have an impact, the want, the desire to surround myself with really talented people, that all stems from McKinsey. Reliant was a great opportunity for me to apply it in a, in a really an exciting corporate setting at a critical moment, surrounded by exceptional people. And by the way, the, the team I worked with 20 years ago at Reliant are now the leaders of the industry all over the country. The North American Electric Reliability Council, it's been somewhat in the background with this Texas discussion, is a former Reliant executive, and I can name a host of others. So Reliant was exceptional because we were able to take an idea and implement it in a way that has really stood the test of time. And then, of course, the partnership, what an opportunity for someone like me, who's someone who who cares about Houston, wants to make a difference. There's just no better platform for someone like me than the Greater Houston Partnership. I've got an extraordinary board. I have 140 people on my board. And and I tell that to people and they go, 140 people? How how do you handle that? I say, I have 140 exceptional, committed Houstonians on my board. I mean, what an exceptional resource I have right there. I have a thousand member companies. I have a staff of 80, all of whom care deeply about Houston. And what an opportunity to, to shape a city that I've grown up in and I love and I still think I can contribute to. Yeah, I am very grateful for that too. As you said, you're great at attracting people and I can see I can see why. And uh, I can see why our mutual acquaintance insisted that you would be a fantastic guest and would contribute greatly to others. So as we start to wrap up the show, Houston's been through a lot and you really have made a huge impact for business leaders. So I know they can go to Houston.org and talks there about some of the benefits of joining, but any last pieces of advice that you want to give new leaders or leaders moving to Houston? I'll say this. I mean, Houston is about to go through an exceptional period of change. And I look back over my 40 plus years in Houston and, you know, it ebbs and flows. But this is, we're going to enter an exceptional moment. You know, COVID has kind of kept the lid on for the last year. We've all tried to get through it and kind of get by almost. Well, that's about to change. And it's going to change, I think, fairly suddenly. Over the next several months, we're going to enter what's effectively the post-pandemic period both in Houston and around the country and around the world, thanks to the vaccines. And so I'm telling everyone, get ready, because this is going to move very quickly. And we're not going to return to the old world. So it's not a matter of just recovering back to something. It's, It's really creating a vision 
of a, of a new post-pandemic future, and it's going to move very quickly. And for Houston, on top of all that, we have this transition from an oil and gas-based economy to what we call this energy transition to a low-carbon world. At the same time, we're diversifying the economy in Houston. So it's it's got to buckle up, get ready. And for leaders, it's going to be how do you motivate and empower your organization to move at, at breakneck speed in a new direction where you're not going to have all the facts and figures and all the confidence in the world that you're right, but you've got to pick a direction and run at a time like this. So that's my message to Houstonians is that buckle up, get ready, let's go. And if you're not already a member of the partnership, come join us because that's what we're all about. Yeah. So I love preventative type of planning rather than problem solving only. <laughs> so you've helped us uh, look into the future. And, and again, with your strength of, of your vision, and I also looked at your website and, and it, it was impressive to see that if it's still accurate, that a fourth of the population are originally residents from foreign countries, so to speak. And then we had, you have a huge population of millennials that, uh, that have, you've attracted or that Houston has attracted. So anything else that you want to say in terms of why? why Houston is where people want to staff up, so to speak. Well, Houston is an exceptional city, and you've touched on part of it. It's just a diverse city, and sometimes diversity just means ethnic diversity, and we are that. But the geographic diversity, as you said, one out of four Houstonians was born outside of the United States. We have an incredible global reach, a global network in Houston, and that serves us so well. We're also a younger city. Our average age is younger. We're a low-cost-of-living city. When I'm talking to people on the east or west coast, I tell them two things. Houston has all that they want. We have it here in Houston. And you can afford to do it in Houston. <laughs> the cost of living is so much lower. So we, we have it all. But the word's not out. And I always ask and encourage Houstonians, spread the word. You know, the rest of the world, the rest of the country doesn't really know Houston. And oftentimes they haven't visited Houston. And that makes a difference. But today, what a, what a time to be out marketing Houston. We have what people seem to be looking for today. But we need to get the word out. Well, I will do my part on this podcast of getting the word out. And uh, I'm one of those uh, statistics because originally, well, my parents are from the Netherlands. I was born in Mexico and now I'm an American. Used to be resident, now citizen. So thank you again for providing what you do and being today on the show. And uh, let's get the word out. Thanks, Bridget. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it.